Today is Dr. Claire Woolner. Thank you. you. I'm doing great. And you? Great. Good. Yeah. The Atheist Experience is produced by the Atheist Community of Austin. The Atheist Community of Austin is organized as a nonprofit educational corporation to develop and support the atheist community, to provide opportunities for socializing and friendship, to promote secular viewpoints, to encourage positive atheist culture, and to defend the First Amendment principle of separation of government and religion. We also work to oppose discrimination against atheists and work with other organizations in pursuit of common goals. In addition to the atheist experience, we produce a number of other um, live broadcasts, including Godless Bitches, of which mm-hmm. Claire and I are both um, hosts. Um, we also produce Talk Heathen. Um, let's see, Secular Sexuality, Parenting Beyond Belief. Um, preaching Humanist. Preaching Humanist. Roundtable, Truth Wanted. Um, a nonprofits. Did you already say that? Yeah, talk no, heathen. Talk, yeah, we uh, said talk. I'm looking at all so, the mugs around. Here. Yeah, we've atheist lowdown. There's one. Yeah, we have. Okay, we also have merchandise. We get that question a lot. You can find that on our website at um, atheist-community. Don't look at me. Uh, <laughs> or, I don't know. Google uh, it. Yeah, sorry about that. I, I'm I'm a bad host. I don't have all my links up. Anyway, we also have Facebook groups that you can interact with us online uh, for both Talk Heathen, Atheist um, Experience, and Godless Bitches. Um, and we have a number of other events, including, um, let's see, I think we've got Hemant Meta coming mm-hmm. yeah. uh, the 24th. 4th? Mm-hmm. 24th. So stay tuned. He's up now. So um, he will be here as a co-host here, I believe. Yeah. And it's so, awesome. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the end of uh, announcements. Uh, announcements. So I think we're ready to roll here. Okay. We've got some stuff oh, to talk to us yeah. about. Yes. Uh, All right. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about evolution. Yes, don't roll your eyes up yet. I won't talk that long. Um, so it, what the series has been about is trying to put to bed the difficulties that religious people have with evolution. And there were eight difficulties. I've covered two of them already. Uh, one is evolution is emotionally icky. People have a visceral re- reaction. They don't want to believe that they are related to the apes. They are apes. Uh, their, incredul- their, their incredulity is high because what about the missing links? Um, they have trouble with the time scale, infinity, and finality. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. They don't think there's any evidence, and I'm going to talk a, bit, a little bit about that today too. Parsimony, um, they don't under- understand what that is. They think that evolution is ungodly, um, and they think they don't understand why evolution is such a big deal to scientists. And then there's the black box. They don't understand exactly how it works. So those are the things. And uh, I want to start out with just um, I want to talk about examples of evolution. And I'm going to jump ahead because I know what people are going to be saying. Uh, 
they want macroevolution examples in my lifetime. That is not going to happen. Right. So space travel is possible, Jen, right? Yes, we've actually been in space. Yes, we have been in space. And uh, we've been to the moon. Mm -hmm. We can do that. We'll probably go to Mars in our lifetime, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a, a possibility. Yeah, right. And given the technology, we could, in theory, go to Proxima Centauri, which is the closest habitable planet in in our um, part of the universe. We we can see it, right. right? That puppy is twelve light years away. Yeah. And a light year is six trillion miles. Mm-hmm. You know all this. Um, and to travel one light year, it would take two million years in the spacecrafts we have right now. Two yes. million years. So that's assuming four generations in a hundred years. Two million years has five hundred thousand generations of people. So twelve light years, you're going to need thirty million generations of people to get to that other planet and we hope it's actually yeah (laughs) for that oops um but to uh to be able to explain that you can get to that other planet with with these numbers and understand it and and do the science to figure out how you do that we've already done all the science and, and understand how to get to the moon that's the first step getting all the way to another planet huge 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 that is the difference between macro and uh, micro and macro evolution. I'm not going to be able to show you an example of macro evolution that happened in our lifetimes because we aren't going to live that long. These things happen in millions and billions of years of time frame. How in the world can I do that? So, um, but I, I would note that if we had the ability to put humans on a spacecraft and send them off to some distant planet, you know, twelve light years away, mm-hmm. um, it'd be reasonable to assume that a lot of macroevolution might take place in oh. that span of time. Oh, yeah. So that the um, the sentient beings that arrived there might look quite a bit different than their mm-hmm. ancestors who left Earth. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, speciation, allopatric speciation right there. Yeah. So pretty cool. And so that's my introduction. And we could go to a call before I do any examples of things. Okay. If you would like. Well, I'll tell you what. Let us talk to, um, we'll talk to Sarah. Um, so we have Sarah in Pennsylvania. You're on with Jen and Claire. How are you? Oh, I guess it would help if I actually uh, push the button. There we go. I think I got you on here now, Sarah. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Um, I was just calling because I'm new to an atheist, um, and I have a lot of religious family members, and I don't know if I'm going about um, talking to them about religion or my beliefs on religion in an appropriate way because I'd like to help them because I know some of them are greatly suffering due to religion. Um, like not seeking medical treatment for like mental health issues. Um, okay. And just really oppressing themselves in a lot of ways. And I could see returning them. So I try to, I've been trying to, you know, share my like lack of beliefs with them. Um, 
and I, I don't know if I'm going about it the right way or how to really go about it without seeming, um, I don't know, know it all. Okay. Like, well, I mean, you say that they're not seeking help for mental health issues. Um, right. Um, due to um, the church's belief about psychiatry or, you know, they're very anti-science in a lot of ways. Um, and it was mainly depression, um, untreated bipolar issues, um, suicidal um, issues that have been on and off for over the years and just like a total change in some of their behaviors, like my sister in particular, who, um, you know, she was very like, for lack of a better word, normal in high school, um, and had ambitions and wanted to do things. And that really changed as she got more involved in the fundamentalist church she was involved in, um, that we grew up in, but she got really, um, taken with them and her like her life has became um, she's become very um involved in it but she she doesn't do anything anymore anything that she used to do or anything she used to like is like um taboo now and it's just i can see how it's taking a toll on all of them so um i don't know how to really help them or what to say that's not going to come across um, egotistical, and they, I know they're really well, they're really well-versed in apologetics in their churches. Like, right. you can say something about slavery being in the Bible and slavery being in the New Testament, and they come up with an excuse like, oh, no, God was only saying that so slaves didn't get mistreated, or God was only saying that to watch out for the slaves because those were the rules at the time, so that's why he told them to obey their masters, or they come up with a lot of excuses. Yeah, but I feel guilty for not trying to help out, or not. Try, I feel guilty for not saying anything, and then I feel, um, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing is, um, you're not responsible for deconverting your family, so you know, don't feel like you have to deconvert them. Um, right. One of the things I will say is that the mental health issues that you describe. Um, Bipolar disorder in particular can be quite dangerous um, for the people involved and for, in some cases, for the people around them. So if you've got family members who suffer from bipolar disorder, I would definitely encourage them, you know, to seek mental health treatment because there are some effective treatments. And, of course, they all come with side effects. Um, Most things that work have some side effects. But it's mm-hmm. worthwhile, um, especially when you consider the toll that that disease can take on people around them. Um, not only that, it, it can diminish their quality of life as well. So this can be dangerous. So Yeah. Um, you know, but ultimately, if people choose not to seek mental health treatment, that's up to them too. Mm-hmm. And I get that. I mean... But I mean, like, obviously I can't force them to do certain things, but sometimes, like, I feel morally obligated to try to reach out and try to point out maybe flaws in the Bible or um, reasons not to believe in God. But I don't know how to do that without coming across 
smug or without them like doing some type of um trying to pull out an apologetic like uh-huh. i don't know what the best way to approach them is uh sarah i wonder if uh since you're concerned primarily with their health and their mental health if dropping the whole uh directly talking about religion thing might be a good idea and just say I think God might want you to get some help. I know, or, or somehow uh, change the way they view their illness so that it's okay for them to get help. Um, if they're unhappy and God is not helping, um, then pointing out that there might be a better way, uh, even if they could find a religious counselor who would help them find medication, uh, Mm-hmm. There's there are ways to get people kind of down the right path, and then you let somebody else take the next step because it's awfully hard for people close to the uh, religious family to tell them what to do. They're going to listen to somebody else more than than you right. probably on that. Um, and I would think that you know, like um, some religious therapists might help, but I mean they're quite. They're independent Baptists, so they're very huh. fundamentalist. So I don't think the therapist is going to encourage medication because most of them hold the view that um, mental health issues aren't something happening to you in your brain or it's not psychological. It's more um, spiritual, so I don't think that would particularly help. But I, I know I've tried to frame it in a way where they might seek um, seek help because I have worried um yeah, that's tough. I, I think the best thing you can do is take care of yourself. If you feel like it's not healthy for you to be a, around that, you can give yourself permission to not be around it. Yeah. Um, offer help. Let them know that you're available uh, to help them in any way that might involve medicine, uh, but that you really don't feel right about hanging around when they're behaving like if if this is the case, if they're behaving badly or in a frightening way, you yeah. know, they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's a tricky spot. Yeah. I don't envy it. I don't, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And one, one of the things I've found when dealing with people who have mental health issues who are very religious, um, there's almost like, you know, this, um, the mental health issues and the religiosity can sometimes reinforce each other. And that's a pretty dangerous situation for the person involved. In best case, it just causes a lot more misery for the person involved. Um, worst case, you know, they get desperate and they end up taking their own life or something. Um, mm-hmm. And like Claire said, the, the thing that you have to do is take care of yourself and know when it's time for you to pull back because you're not responsible for deconverting them. And ultimately, unless it's a situation where you have to step in and have them involuntarily committed for their own safety, you're not responsible for whether they seek mental health treatment or not. They get to make those decisions right. on their own. Even if it's, if it's a bad decision, you know, from your perspective, it's still theirs. Yeah. And to be fair, I haven't really talked to them about it too much yet. I've kind of hinted around, but um, yeah. I haven't really pushed the issue Um so maybe it's better that I 
don't really even go into detail with it because, um, I mean, some of my family members compared to others would be able to handle it better, but, um, yeah. yeah. Um, do you, have, do you have a good support system around you so that, uh, you can be propped up and, and confident and healthy in your own dealings with them? Because it can be tricky. Uh, I know it's called like the golden doorknob. You may go so far in your counseling and become a better and happier person. And you go home and you touch the doorknob and it's magic and you suddenly revert back to your old ways. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I've done that. Yeah. Um, but uh, counseling can really help with that sort of thing so that you can have those healthy boundaries and be able to let go of the things that you really don't need to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say I have a great support system around me right now, just because um, I I kind of I grew up in that church and we were very um, mm. isolated from the outside um, world, um, and it affected my education and so on. And I've um, currently out of work, so I really don't know a lot of people outside of that circle. Um, a couple family members, but, um, but I'm doing my best to educate myself and try to, um, figure out what I need to be doing. Um, the godless bitches did an episode on how to find community. If you want to go look that up and watch it, uh, finding a community is, is, is key. It is essential. We are social animals. And I think you'll find yourself being much happier if you can find a community, um, even if it's Unitarian Universalist Church or Congregational Church. Um, your family might be more amenable to that. Or uh, go to meetup and see if you can find a secular group, just people to of like mind to hang out with. It, it'll it'll help you feel better. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Yeah. Yeah, I wish you the best. Yeah, Um, good luck with it. That's not a fun place. It's a difficult situation. So take care of yourself. Thank you. All right. Bye, Sarah. Bye, Sarah. All right. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty heartbreaking when I hear someone who's been raised in a fundamentalist religion Mm -hmm. like that, and they come out and they start to recognize how much their education and the way they think about the world and everything has been affected by that. Mm -hmm. Um, And they get, a lot of them get rightfully angry at that. Mm -hmm. And so if you're out there and you've been in this situation, it's okay to be angry about this. Mm -hmm. You have a right to be angry. And worried and sad for the people who are still stuck in it. Right. Especially if they're not taking care of themselves because of the religion, if the religion is actively damaging them. Right. I just, that's just, my heart goes out. That's yeah. just really rough. And Sarah is concerned because she is a normal human being with empathy. Mm-hmm. Like How about member, them apples? Yeah, like a member <laughs> of a social species. Yes, yes. So, right on. Oh, right. right. Do I want to talk about, was that my segue? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, that's pretty awesome. I love it. Um, okay. So, the first thing I want to talk about, if, if you could put the first slide up there for me, Mark, is something called a ring species. Um, if you look on the 
left-hand side, the white dot, that's the, the first, that's the original species. And as the organism breeds and lives its life and naturally adapts to the various parts of the world where it is, that, that geo- geographic barrier in the middle uh, means that they are not going to meet one another again for a while. So the light blue dots and then the green dots, those are actually at that, by the time the species moves around to there, they're a new species. And it goes on and on around. And the gradations in color mean that the species on either side of a dot can still interbreed because evolution is occurring. But it, uh, once you get to the other side of that geographic barrier, uh, where the red is, the red and purple, uh, they have differentiated so much that they can't interbreed. And, uh, so this is like taking, uh, a, 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 a linear, a timeline of evolution and putting it into a, a single time, like right now, and it's physical. It's going, you can see it going around that geological, uh, uh, feature. So we actually have a couple of examples of critters that have done this, and that's the next slide. There are seagulls that have done this. Um, those, I don't know why they used birds like that. They're supposed to be seagulls. But when they actually look at the organisms and identify the species in the various places on the ring, you can see that there are blue, green, red, orange, yellow species they can interbreed and you can see where they overlap and they are interbreeding. But once you get the two most disparate species coming together on the other side of it, they can't breed. And that's called a ring species and it actually occurs. So there's one of my examples. And this actually occurs right now. And uh, there are several animals that they think they've found that this is what happened. So I have, have one for you and, and I'll ask you since you're the biologist okay. if this is true. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently coyotes can interbreed successfully with eastern gray wolves, hmm. but not western gray wolves. Fascinating. Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there's an example. It's a gradient. Um, yeah. And it's real. I have no doubt that if we kept breeding dogs like we do as long as we did, there would just be a physical barrier yeah. between... Well, there is. There, I mean, I mean chihuahuas and... Great, great games. So like, oh, that's a <laughs> yeah. pretty serious barrier. <laughs> anyway. <Yeah. laughs> All righty. All right. So let's take another call here. Let me see if I get the call right this time. We have Jennifer in Kentucky. How are you? Hi. Um, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I want to give you um, the story of my second child's birth, uh, my son, and um, how religion can kind of be harmful. <laughs> um, I I gave birth to my son in a Christian um, uh, hospital. Um, not my first child, uh, but my second. Okay. What and, um, what denomination was it? Um. Baptist, Baptist. Okay. Um, and when I first got to the hospital, the first nurse, of course, is this super bubbly, sweet girl. And then she went, she, then she was off and I got this new lady and, and, uh, 
she, see, I have epilepsy mm-hmm. and, um, and so, um, you know, and, uh, it was, it was your second nurse, my second nurse, uh, Luda, she's, she, um, I kind of didn't like her off the bat, but of course I was, I wouldn't say that to her. But I, I, I started, I don't have uh grand mal seizures. I, when I have seizures, it's, uh, my head shakes and I, I feel lost and I would go into seizures, um, and during labor, and then I would have a contraction, and then right out of my contraction, I would go into another seizure. Oh, and wow. I think I think I kind of freaked her out. She was she was like, "What is this?" You know, and and uh, it's like it's like, "Well, uh, I have I have epilepsy and stuff," and and um, she 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 was just. She she left the room and she like she never checked she never checked to see how far dilated I was or or if my water broke even um, I uh, well I lost my bladder when I came in the door and I was like well, what was that and she was like that was your water breaking which uh, no it wasn't <laughs> oh wow but um but um tell them like what what got her to come back oh she 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 handed me the pager. And she said, push this button when you feel like you need to push. And and she was gone. She was absolutely wow. gone. Holy and, cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was gone. And then I was just, I, I kept having seizures. And I was just like, I was act, asking my husband, I was like, what do I do? <laughs> like, what? So what? did you, how long ago was this? About two years. My son okay. is two years now. So what made him, what made her come back? When I pushed the button. No, the doctor came. <laughs> the doctor. She. I pushed the button and then she brought the doctor. And um. Is it, oh well. Yes, honey. I know. Let me tell the story. <laughs> Sorry, but um. But when when I pushed the button, she brought the doctor um with her and. She was a completely different person, of course, when the doctor is there. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, and and the doctor, the doctor said like, "Oh, what's your name?" And that's uh, where Rebecca. Uh, excuse me, Jennifer. Uh, it's not my real name, but I gave you that name. Um, okay. and he and he said like, "Oh, listen to all those Christian names, like." Like my name and my daughter's name, and you're and like, see, like, see, she's 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 an okay person, and and then he made her um, quote the Bible, like, like, oh, Luda, what's this? What's this part of the Bible? And like, can you can you like, you know, quote all of these Bible verses? And and the the man himself, the doctor himself, was a very soft spoken man and, and kind, but. But just it was really a hard situation because when I gave birth to my first child, and this is that UK, this is a different um, place. The her umbilical cord was around her neck, and yeah. and it's just like I'm really glad that none of these things happened to my second born. Like I'm glad that you know, and the the doctor broke my water too. Yeah, like he he. I remember the face that he gave Luda when he first got there. Like I remember. Just like I remember looking at her, like "What are you doing?" kind of a face, yeah. you know. And um, so, my question for you here is: um, Is this uh, have you did you report this to like the patient advocate at the hospital? I should. I 
really should. Like I called, yeah. I mean, this is I called like a lawyer type people, and she gave me a number. But it's like it's one of those things when you have two kids and a newborn, and like right. all of those things. Yeah. But I mean, the best thing. Yeah, and I just know in the Bible that when like epilepsy, people think that you're like carrying demons type. I think I freaked this lady out. Yeah. And I was I was I was a Christian at the time. Like here this past July, like I guess I guess I would call myself an atheist, which is really, you know, hard to do. <laughs> Letting go yeah. of religion I would describe as like ripping a big leech off of your arm. It's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> it's it's really hard when you have to, when you're letting go of religion. It's a really hard one. Mm-hmm. And right. Because I got I got epilepsy when I was twelve years old. I'm kind of like, kind of like when I got my period, I got epilepsy too. <laughs> okay. But uh, it's just I I really kind of I had faith in God, and I had to I had to like anytime I had to go get an EEG and things like like there's been you know times where I had to put my faith in something, and it's, it's scary having to go get EEGs and it's scary when you have seizures and stuff. It's, it's, it's rough. Well, uh, I mean, there's two issues here. Um, and the biggest one is that you got very inadequate medical care. I mean, the fact that this nurse didn't recognize that you were having seizures and didn't treat you appropriately, that's pretty horrific. And I mean, the medical people at that hospital need to know about that. Yeah, just you a, know. it doesn't have to be a lawsuit, uh, a letter right. to whoever is running the hospital. Right, because, I mean, even if you're not harmed, if you are treated inappropriately at, you know, a medical facility, they should have a patient advocate number that you can call and contact them and let them know what your experience was. Um, healthcare facilities, for the most part, actually care about these kinds of reports. Mm-hmm. They do. Because patient satisfaction is a big deal. Um so, I mean, that that's first and foremost is your medical care was not appropriate. Uh, the second thing was the proselytizing by the doctor. And, you know, whether you're religious or not, in the throes of labor is probably not the point or not the, the time or the place to be quoting scripture. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Um, but anyway, that, that would be my advice to you is, you know, two years is, um, you know, a lot of time has passed, but now that you're thinking about it, um, maybe contact the patient advocate and give the names of the, the nurse and the doctor. At the very least, they should know that, you know, as kind of a, a data point. Maybe they've had other complaints as well. So you'd probably be doing your community a service if you let them know. Yeah. All right. Did you have anything else to nope. offer? Sounds good. All right. Well, I think we're yeah. going to let you go there, Jennifer. Uh, thanks for calling. And um, all right. Good luck with the good babies. Luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Sure. Bye bye. All right. Okay. Shall we do another one? Sure. Um, this one is uh, pretty recent. Um, can you put the first slide up there for me, Mark? Every uh, most folks have seen the evolution of horses uh, phylogeny, which is what that is. And uh, it starts with a little dog-like horsey thing that eventually evolves to be the horse that we know of. And we also generally know that it started out as a five-toed organism and uh, 
has evolved to be a single-toed or- organism. We, we count the hoof as the middle finger. Of, <laughs> what would be the middle finger of the five digits? So the next slide, please. Yeah, the horse is just giving us the finger all the time. Next slide. All righty. And um, on this slide, it shows the horse with three toes and the the well the the ancestral horse with three toes and then current horses with a single toe and the color coding there uh, corresponds to the toes so there's going from uh let me see it's a little small uh uh right to left i think is how that's going and you have the uh blue and yellow those are parts of the hoof and then the green and red on the other side are the other parts of the hoof and the the actual hoof in the middle the white part that's the middle finger um up until now we only really paid attention to the bones that are in the leg up there what we call the leg it's actually the finger of the horse uh but now those same colors on the bottom, the blue, yellow, green, red, have been shown to be in the actual hoof. Can we go to the next slide? So this is what the underside of a horse's hoof looks like. Um, maybe you've never seen one before, but it looks like that. And that kind of V-shaped thing in the middle, that's called the frog. And it has a split in the middle. So it has kind of two parts to it. Can we go to the next slide? Oops, something got skipped. There's uh, that slide with, um, let's go, there's a slide that has the colored stripes. Well, go back to the horse one, please. The horse hoof. There you go. So those colors that we showed before actually correspond to some structures that are inside the hoof uh, on the yellow part on either side of the frog. And then the two halves of the frog actually represent the uh, most proximal part of the most distal part, I'm sorry, of the second and fourth digits on what what used to be the horse's five-digited hand, so to speak. Yeah. And so they have shown this to be true. And now go to the next slide, please. And this is what's just blew my mind when I saw this article. Uh, it shows again those colors of the five different digits on the primitive horse and the modern day horse and the bottom those are fetal horse hoofs and if you look at the front which is what on the left hand side it's just white they have it just white hoof that is the middle digit equivalent when you look at the back of the hoof if you look at it in terms of development there are four different things going on there and those are what become what are called the the wings of the hoof. The, the, it, it's a structure that supports a bone inside the hoof on either side, and that would be the blue and the red ones. And then the frog, the yellow and green ones, those become the frog. So there were five digits. It's there. You can look at it in the development, and it's awesome. Evolution. Ta-da. All right. All right. Well, that gives us an Excellent segue okay. into our next caller here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk to, let's see, Michael in San Antonio. You're on with Jen and Claire. Uh, hello. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure, sure. 
So um, I just wanted to ask that uh, with the limits of our senses and with the limits of the scientific method by you know, association, uh, how do you have faith in the conclusions drawn by the scientific method and science in general? Easily. <laughs> um, right. But, you know, with our limited senses, how, you know, there's a lot that we can't perceive. So our, how do you trust what you are seeing? You know, because there's a lot that you're not seeing. Right. Our senses are limited. It's true. But we are smart and we can build stuff that extend our senses and and give us a way to look at stuff. When I was in undergraduate 30 years ago or whatever, they said when we were talking about the structure of chemical bonds in molecules mm-hmm. that it would look like this. They hypothesized that it would look like the six-sided rings and, and have this shape and so forth and that we would never get to actually know because they're just too small. Well, by God... They figured out how to photograph molecules, and they look just like we hypothesized them to look. Yeah. So the science there is extremely rigorous, and uh, I mean, what? How is how is that not? How does that not fit what you're talking about? Um, because it's it's still very limited to to what we can perceive. So, like, for example, um, uh, scientists now, that the number's been changing, but they say now that nine, maybe about 90% of the universe uh, is dark, dark matter, matter or yeah. dark energy. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we can't perceive it at all. All we, we can, know is that... Golly. How do we... Per- yeah, tell me. I can't see gravity, but it's there. It's yeah. a very powerful force, and... Uh, the the uh, dark matter was hypothesized to exist a hell of a long time ago. They knew something was going on. They couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then, through science, studying physics, boom, they figured out that there's this other force, dark matter, that is the glue that holds us together. And the most wonderful um, analogy I've I've heard is by Neil deGrasse Tyson, he talks about have you ever have you ever been at the um, ocean shore at night? Have you ever sure. seen waves crashing? Okay, so the white frothy stuff—that's the stuff you can see. The water itself, usually when it's dark, you can't see it, mm-hmm. but it's supporting that white frothy stuff, and it's the majority of it—the dark matter and that water that's underneath the frothy stuff. So I thought that was pretty brilliant. Okay, so what you're saying is like the matter that we can perceive is like the froth and the dark matter would be like the ocean? Basically. I mean, that's an analogy. Yeah. Yeah, it's an analogy. Well, you're, it's the one you're giving me. I'm just trying to right. understand sure, uh, sure. exactly because, mm-hmm. I mean, the way you describe that is like not knowing anything about the ocean and just studying the froth, thinking that you're going to understand the ocean, that's not going to tell you, that's going to tell you less than 5%. You won't well, know anything of any animals in the ocean. Yeah, see, that's why I said it's an analogy. It's not perfect. Yeah, uh, There's still a hell of a lot to know. Uh, if you want to push back that barrier that we have where the knowledge goes up to, get a PhD. You can help push that back. Um, there are so many interesting questions that we haven't answered. A lot that we have. And, um, sure. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so uh, do you operate with the understanding, like how you, um, 
you know, you had speculated or you had said earlier about, you know, we, we, uh, build technology that extend our senses, right? Mm-hmm, like yes. infrared, ultraviolet, x-ray, stuff like, you know, mm-hmm. things that, that our naked eyes can't perceive, but then we start to perceive more and more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do, do you accept that it's, it's possible that this, you know, that the entire ocean of dark matter that we can't see actually is a really, really essential part of all the interactions of, you know, it could unify, um, you know, the nuclear forces and gravity and all that stuff. Um, you know, and, you know, and but the reality, what I'm trying to say is, you know, we don't know what's going on behind that curtain, but still, you know, we're we're having faith in in just what we can see. I mean, even when we extend our well, senses, it's, it's not about having faith in what we can see. Yeah, it's confirmed over and over. The scientific method is is not going to accept something unless it's pretty rigorous, and. So, yeah, there's a lot. changes quite as time goes on. That's I mean, because we learn more strength. stuff. That's a strength of science. Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. that we can right. change. We more stuff. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. If you're saying We're that not- we could possibly have our world rocked by some new discovery that changes everything, yeah, it's happened before. Yeah. Um, so I guess knowing that that's happened before and could happen again is, mm-hmm. I mean, but. You still go with what you got. I mean, what are you going to do? Chuck all of it out and just pretend you don't know anything? We go with what we got. What we do is, in my opinion, is uh, we know that everything is subject to change. And I understand that that's, that is the belief in science, but sometimes you don't act like it. You know, you're telling, oh, well, in 30 million generations, we'll go to Alpha Centauri. Like, that's you know, not what she said. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said it would be possible. And, you know, what happens um, when, when oh, scientists – it's okay. When scientists uh, – I, I have to oversimplify stuff. I get feedback from people who watch these shows and they'll tell me if they understood it or not. I try not to use any jargon and I try to keep it as simple as possible so that everybody can understand it. Um, so I appreciate that. Yeah. I really, I really do. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's my job as a teacher. Uh, just because I'm talking in words that have, you know, certain meanings doesn't mean that I'm saying that's the final word, that's it, and the definition is there, and that's the end of it. There's there's always new stuff coming up. Um, and sometimes, you know, our worst, the worst thing that I see is articles written about science by people who don't understand science. They'll write uh, a title that just makes my skin crawl, like, uh, chocolate cures cancer, like, Wait, 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 wait. They may have done one study and they may have found a, a, a small effect if you just lived on chocolate and it was a chocolate a mutated mouse. And, you know, it's I, I wish chocolate. I wish chocolate cured cancer. Hey, chocolate does all sorts of good it's, things. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's good stuff. Sure. Well, that, that's the culture of, of misleading studies, usually for a profit by somebody. Mm, it's it's more that people publish what they find because it's of interest to other scientists. And then uh, somebody finds it and thinks, ooh, I'm going to publish this and, and turn it into something that it's not. It, it's I don't think the scientists, most scientists are ethical people. Uh, why would a scientist want to put out information that's wrong or useless? Most of us uh, want to do the very best. reasons. I mean, th- there's been plenty of scientific forgeries in the past. Well, yes. Yeah. There and, are and, reasons. But have you seen how many publications actually have hold water? Have you? Billions 
Well, and the other thing to note is that when people do publish fraudulent yeah. data, um, guess who discovers that this was mm-hmm. fraudulent data? Yeah, it isn't. Uh, it's Joe Schlunk on the street. Other scientists, it's another scientist that uncover that they've either falsified data or they've used bad methodology mm-hmm. or. And it's not that all kinds the, of- the thing changed, right? The thing didn't change. It's our understanding of it changed. Sure, sure, of course, yeah. Our, our, uh, you know, uh, speculating on the inner workings of the universe do not change how it actually works. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, well, it could actually. Who knows? You know, our I hope not. Might have some impact. We don't know. We're yeah. No, we're we're jacking up our own planet just plenty. I don't think we need to jack anything else up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well. Uh, well, thank you for your time. You know, it's sure. it, it nice to. Uh, to talk to you about some of these things I've had on my mind. And, right on. Right. And, uh, yeah. Nice right, to hear from you. Day. Thanks right. for the call. Take care. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. All right. That was fun. Yes. I love sciencing. Yes. Hmm. So that's, um, he, he raises an interesting point mm-hmm. that people sometimes do misrepresent what science says. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I want to, like, slide this in for a second here okay. because there's an anti-vaxxer who's interacting on mm. Dallas Bitch's Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And one of the studies she cites in support of her claim that vaccines are not necessary and they do more harm than good is an article that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Uh, the name of this article, um, let me pull it up here. It is... Uh, it was published um, in 1999, and the title of it is Trends in Infectious Disease Mortality in the United States During the 20th Century. And basically, her claim is that vaccines aren't necessary because uh, mortality from infectious disease started to decline before the introduction of vaccines. Well, first of all, there were some vaccines available early in the 20th century. Mm, there were. But... Um, although what she says is technically true, it's also irrelevant to her claim because what this study did was it, it put infectious diseases into basically nine categories. Okay. First two of these is pneumonia and influenza. Second one is tuberculosis. Mm. Okay. So these two categories, again, pneumonia and influenza are grouped together. Um, what? Well, influenza, Bacteria and virus. Well, um, pneumonia is often a consequence of influenza. Okay. It's It's linked that way, but it's not. It was just grouped together. Okay. Okay. Um, So those two categories accounted for 60% of the reduction in infectious disease mortality in the early part of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. So we don't vaccinate for tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. And... Until fairly recently, we didn't have a vaccine for pneumonia either, mm-hmm. um, or, or influenza for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened in the 20, early part of the 20th century that probably influenced the decline in death from two bacterial, you know, mm-hmm. diseases? Mm-hmm. The introduction of antibiotics. How about washing hands, too? Well, and that's one of their claims is that it was better sanitation and nutrition. And certainly those have an impact on your ability to fend off disease. All three of those diseases are diseases that you get when you are 
somehow uh, compromised, your health is compromised. Right. And, you know, people still get tuberculosis. It's it's pretty unusual now Mm -hmm. because we know how to treat tuberculosis, and those people that are identified as having it, they are prescribed appropriate treatment Mm -hmm. right away that basically renders them Mm -hmm. non-infectious. But anyway, so... You know, this is a misrepresentation of science to claim that vaccines aren't necessary because mortality had already started to decline. First of all, mortality, that means death, right? Bad things can happen to you prior to dying when you contract things like measles and chicken pox and pertussis. Mm-hmm. So death is not the only consequence of having those things. Oh, definitely not. But if people didn't die from those diseases, even if they had terrible consequences, they wouldn't show up in this study. Right. So saying that this is evidence that vaccines aren't necessary, it's completely misleading, even though it does document that mortality from these diseases declined. Okay. Some of the other diseases included in this study, but or one of the others was uh, syphilis. Okay. Because so, people used to die from syphilis when yeah. there wasn't any treatment for it. It's yeah. Very, well. But, you know... Medicine, science happened. Again, antibiotics. Mm -hmm. They're good things. They are. Don't overuse them, though. Yes. Yes. All right, so I just wanted to highlight that as an example of how people misuse science. Yes. Oh, my gosh, and they really, really do. And the initial study, the guy studied or published it. It was erroneous. Everybody latched onto it. He's retracted it. Everybody said it's false millions of studies that show that vaccines work and have nothing to do with autism, and yet oh, yeah, people are still the, able yeah. to find the just the right series yeah. of words to put together to, to make it look like it's yeah. a problem, and it's not. Yeah. It is not. Talking about the Wakefield. Yes. Thing. Yes. Yes. The thoroughly discredited yeah. Andrew Wakefield. The, the damage yeah. he has done, I just... Yeah, we've talked about that before on yes. Silas Pitches. And, yeah. Yep, yep, so yep. we'll probably get an influx of anti-vaxxers emailing us. Ooh, fun. Yeah. Bring it. Yeah. Yeah. So please bring me something other than toxins and, you know, let's see, what else is it? Uh, developmental delays, they don't cause that. Oh, they, gosh. There's... Toxins. That, oh, the yeah. toxins. That's so yeah. silly. The um, the mercury uh, compound that is in thimerosal in yeah. some of the vaccines, which was taken out of all the pediatric vaccines because they're single dose. Yeah, which and they had to make them single dose because they took the preservative, which was thimerosal, out. Yeah. But the interesting thing about it is, is that um, MMR, which is the one that Wakefield implicated in. Mm-hmm. his alleged autism study that was, by the way, based on eight patients who did not give informed consent to that study. That was one of the ethical oh, issues there. Even better. Um, you know, MMR never contained thimerosal because it w- it's a live virus vaccine, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and the thimerosal would have killed, killed the virus. So, yeah, yeah, it was never in it. Right. And um, as I understand it, I, uh, the mercury compound that is in there is stable. And doesn't latch yes. on to right. your person. It is flushed out. It is a, a necessary preservative when you have a vial that you're going to yep. use multiple times if you're vaccinating, say, a village somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. It's important to have that. It's not all evil. Right. It's, it just comes – it comes down to people not understanding stuff um, and not understanding science. They've learned to not trust science, um, yeah. which is unfortunate. And our current administration is not helping with that. This is true. Well, we should, like, rake the leaves in our forest and then we won't have Oh, God fires. almighty. Well, someone on Twitter said, rake America great again. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he yeah, he, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah. It makes me furious. All right. So, okay. Let's settle down. We want right. to take another call. You want to continue? Um, sure. What time do we stop? Uh, at six. So we have plenty of time. Okay. Groovy. Okay. Why don't we talk to, um, let's see, we've got Mark in the Philippines. Hi, Mark. How are you? Hi, Jen. Hi, Claire. Hi, Mark. Hi. Can you hear me? Yep, we can. All right. That's good. You two look great. I'm watching you on YouTube right now, but there's a little delay, I mm-hmm. guess. Okay. Thank you for taking my call. And I, I'm, I'm here to talk about taxation in the church, actually. Okay. And I understand you're uh, in the Philippines, right? Okay. I'm in the Philippines. You know what it is in the Philippines. We are 99% uh, Christian. Okay. 1% uh, don't even say they're atheists because it's really difficult to say that here in the Philippines. Um, Okay. So taxation, but um, I'm very interested in the last call, Michael, and also Claire's discussion about evolution. Because it seems that Michael is having a hard time understanding dark matter and the scientific process involved in determining it. I think that Christians have a very, uh, it's, it, they find it very difficult to understand dark matter, evolution, Big Bang, because these are very big ideas. But it seems they can, they can understand very easily electricity um, and stuff that are very practical in their lives, mm-hmm. you know. I don't see any Christian saying, oh, what's electricity? Because they do use electricity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, although it's very hard for me to understand the internet, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't question it because it works. So I guess my question for Claire is, what is the practical application of evolution as a theory uh, that y- we can tell Christians, um, that we can say, hey, Christian, um, this is the practical application of evolution. Oh, gosh, that's a giant question, and I love it. Oh, we were just talking about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Shots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Vaccinations. But I'm going to go more science on you, more um, uh, biologist. The, the importance of evolution and the organisms that have evolved – and how we take care of them should be paramount to everyone. Uh, that we disregard that, that especially religions disregard the importance of the number of species that are out there and how we treat the earth and the organisms that are out there. Uh, it's, it's folly. We are heading down a very dangerous road. Um, the number of species going extinct because of human beings 
is outpacing any other mass extinction that we've had. And that's saying a lot. Um, yeah. So that's what I would say it is. Vaccinations, if you want to talk about something super practical and has to do with human beings. Antibiotics. Yeah, yeah antibiotics. Yep. I mean, antibiotic resistance is an example of evolution in action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, even if I say that, Christians would still say, um, well, I haven't seen a monkey turn into a human being. Right. You know, but Which is, at least it's worth a try. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an example of someone who they have such a profound ignorance of what evolution is all about that yeah. you almost can't have that conversation with them until they get some background information. Right. I don't know. You, right. You're an educator, so you no, know. No, it's absolutely true. People like that, you have to start at the very beginning, and uh, it, it takes some time, and it's much more difficult to get somebody to sit and listen to you for that long and to understand it instead of just saying, God did it. That's yeah. very easy. And so, yeah, uh, I think some people are kind of intellectually lazy. Mm-hmm. That's true. They can't even read their Bible, you know. Really? <laughs> too lazy to do that. Oh, so, well, that's true, yeah. So, I Mark, you had, a, you had a specific thing in mind you wanted to talk about. Yeah, that's oh. about taxation. Mm-hmm. And I've heard Matt and I think Tracy have said in many episodes that they want the, the church to be taxed. Do you guys share the same opinion? Well, I, I don't know what the context was in in which they said they wanted the church to be taxed. So right because now... I think there is... Yeah, yeah. So, so um, right now, churches fall under the same um, 501c3 nonprofit organization that the ACA is organized under. Uh, the only difference is they're a religious organization versus we are an educational organization. What I would like is for churches to have to follow the same rules as every other nonprofit, which means financial disclosure. You have to file, a, you know, the ACA right now has to file a form with the IRS every year mm-hmm. disclosing, you know, how much money we got and where we got it. And I think churches should have to do the same. Additionally, churches automatically get a property tax exemption, which organizations like the ACA, we don't do that. In order to get our property tax exemption for this library, um, we had to file paperwork with the local taxing authority, and we had to demonstrate that first that we were a nonprofit, um, that we were in compliance with all the IRS requirements for that, and that we could provide a service to the community that was at least as valuable as the taxes we would pay. Now, churches don't have to do that. They can just say, we're a church and, and we're exempt from property taxes, which essentially... Go ahead. I mean, that's it? They just have to declare that they're a church and yes. that will that's automatically it. exempt them? Yes. It's, yeah, there's an automatic exemption. I think that should end. And I don't have a problem with them being exempt if they meet the requirements that every other nonprofit has to meet. Okay. Well, in the Philippines, the tax-exempt status of churches is actually a constitutional grant. Is it the same in the United States? Um, it's interpreted that way, um, and people fall back on First Amendment stuff saying, you know, the government shall make no law establishing 
you know, regarding establishment of religion. So there's a, there's the establishment clause. And then there's also the, the clause that says you can't, um, interfere with someone's free exercise of religion. So people tend to fall back on that as a, as a reason why churches should be tax exempt. Um, to me, it's not about that because, um, the churches themselves don't have constitutional rights. Individuals mm-hmm. do. And so yeah. as long as you're not infringing on the individuals who are practicing the religions, then I don't see there's a problem. Um, right. This is specifically part of the IRS code. The IRS code specifically exempts um, churches in this way. And, and it's actually up to local taxing authorities as far as property taxes. Um, mm. yeah. So there's two things here. There's the federal thing with, which concerns filing requirements, you know, yeah. and the fact that nonprofits aren't taxed for the, the money that's donated. Um, the second part of that is whether you pay property taxes on, on your real property, like a building. Um, mm-hmm. The property taxes are controlled by local taxing authorities, and that's like a patchwork of laws. It depends on what local uh, jurisdiction you live in. But I don't know of a single local taxing authority that requires a church to demonstrate that they offer something of value to the jurisdiction to be tax-exempt. Yeah, I think it's the same system in the Philippines. I'm I'm sure it is. And uh yeah, you I think I've just realized that I kind of misunderstood Matt regarding um taxing the church there. But uh here's the point. So there's a video I saw on YouTube where this caller said, Why should we punish the church? by removing its taxation when the church has admittedly uh, some moral uh, and material benefit to the people. How would you respond to that? I think Matt wasn't able to respond very well or there was actually, (laughs) it was a heated debate actually. So Matt wasn't able to address the issue very directly. But how would you respond to that? Well, I would think if the church is providing some kind of legitimate service to the community, that should be easily, you know, easy enough to document. Okay, so there should be proof of well, your... All I'm saying is that the rules should be the same for all nonprofits. So, I, I mean, if, if we can demonstrate that we offer something of value to the community, why couldn't a church do the same? Yeah, we had to jump through a bunch of hoops. Yeah. So why, why don't they have to? You mean the, the the atheist community of Austin? Yeah, correct. Okay, I see. But isn't atheism, I mean, well, there is a decision of the Supreme Court where it says that atheism should be considered a religion um, well, in, in, in a legal sense. I mean, in just in a legal sense, in order for it to benefit from the same things that churches benefit from. Well, that's... The decision didn't declare that atheism is a religion. What it said is that non-belief has to be treated the same way as a belief um, in terms of religion. So, So basically you can't give a preference to someone or to a belief over a non-belief. All right. Well, that's all I have for you guys. Thank you so much for taking my call. Thanks for the call. Thank you. All right. Take care.
All right, so that that's actually some interesting stuff that a lot of people often misunderstand about nonprofits mm-hmm. in how they're taxed or not taxed. Mm-hmm. And, there. and so property tax exemption is a big deal mm-hmm. for a nonprofit. Yeah, especially here in Austin where property taxes are outrageous. We have right. no income tax in Texas. So they take it out uh, of property taxes. That's the only way they right. make their income. And they need to change that, but that's another thing. And, and the other fallacy that um, I should address here real quick is that there's some people that claim that um, churches should should remain untaxed because otherwise they'll be allowed to basically endorse, you know, candidates or, you know, for public office or whatever. And that's not true. Paying taxes has nothing to do with a nonprofit's ability to endorse political candidates. Um for many years, the ACA paid property taxes here in Austin prior to our getting our exemption. We still couldn't endorse candidates for public office. So those two have nothing at all to do with each other. So there. Yep. Good Good stuff to know. All right. I'm going to so, do my last big example here. All right. And this one is an oldie but a goodie. Uh, Tiktalik. <laughs> it's a strange name, but... Mark, can you put up the next slide for me there? All righty. So the short story of it is you have the critter up there on top that is strictly water going and the critter down there at the bottom, which is strictly land going. And they want to find what uh, creationists so lovingly refer to as the missing link, which is stupid because you'd have to then you if you find that link then you have two more missing links that you may need yeah. to find species don't evolve discreetly like that it is a gradual process in any case we wanted to find the missing link that goes in the middle there uh one of the wonderful things about the theory of evolution by natural selection is that like any other theory it has tremendous predictive value The theory of evolution just isn't a nice idea. It has scientific value. So if you wanted to find the critter that was between those two, where would you look? You would probably look in rock that existed somewhere between their ages that those rocks were in that they found those two in. Does that make sense? So you would find, um, you would look in rock that is between, I can't quite see it, those millions of years apart. So here, they found some rock of that age. Uh, Yeah, and the arrow is a little cut off, but at the very tippy top, you can see that rock right there was exposed, not built on, and of the right age. And they went there, and they dug down, and guess what they found? They found? Tiktaalik. Which the is fossil they were looking that for. missing link. It's it's science, y'all. It works. So let me see if I understand this right. Mm-hmm. Some guys used evolution evolutionary theory mm-hmm. to say, "Hey, we think that an organism with these physical characteristics lived mm-hmm. at this certain time frame, mm-hmm. and if we find some rocks." that match that age, that time frame, Mm -hmm. that's the most likely place we'll find that fossil. Mm -hmm. And then they went out and they found that fossil. Yep. Wow. Predictive value. When uh, scientists, paleontologists, go out and look for critters, they don't just look in any 
rocky place. So I can't just dig a hole in my backyard. And you actually stuff. could here in yeah. Texas. You would find lots of um, limestone deposits and shells and all sorts of cool stuff yeah. here. Maybe even a mosasaur, which would be awesome. But uh, they go to specific places because they know the age of the rock and they're looking for critters in that period. That's what they're doing. It's not random at all. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Now, yes, some farmer digs up something in their field and it's a new discovery. That wasn't scientific, right? But once you go there and, and you see what's there, you have the information and can go from there. Possibly extending the distribution, the known distribution of that organism, which right. is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Tiktaalik. So there's actually a really good book about this. Ah, yeah, by Inner Fish. Your Inner Fish by Neil Shubin. Mm-hmm. You should look that up. Yeah, he's describes, the guy who, who did this. Yes, yeah. it describes um, what they did and how they found this particular fossil, and mm-hmm. it's really cool. Yeah. Um, so let's see. We've had this guy, Vanamali. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's been on for a while. Let's have a look. You ready? Yeah, uh, okay. ready. Hi, um, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Vanamali? Yes, that is correct. You got it right. Okay, you're on Thank with Jen and Claire. How are you? Call. How you're are welcome. you guys? Yeah, first time caller. Okay. So, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I, um, uh, you know, as we, I think that tea is a brainwash, but uh, is an effect on atheists also. Because we grew up in that environment, and um, um, maybe as adults, we stop believing, but as kids, we grew up in that environment, and some of the effect has has to be still there. And how do we find out that the effect is still there? Is by looking for tells. And one of the tells that I look for uh, is the lack of questions. Um, for example, what does one do in heaven? Right? You hear about so much about, oh, heaven will be so great, you'll be so happy and all that. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever asks, okay, we got there, okay, now what? We meet our loved ones and all that stuff, great, fantastic. Well, okay, I, I mean, then what? I, I don't, think it's that people don't ask is that because um, I've I've heard people ask a lot of questions like you know for people who were married to someone their spouse dies and they remarry when they get to heaven are they still married to their original spouse or <laughs> right. are they you know, married, have, are, married to and then if their their new spouse dies and goes to heaven are they now married to two people you know, how does that yeah. work exactly? So, I mean, I think people have asked, you know, questions like this, but I don't really focus on those kinds of questions because I don't think heaven exists. So well, that's the, uh, you cannot get anywhere by saying that there is no evidence. I mean, we know there is no evidence. Um, and even though science has done so much for us, we have TV, we have, we we fly in the air, our jobs, our health. So much is based on science. And yet, whenever there's a science story, you get all these comments saying, cut the funding, we don't need science, science is bogus and stuff. Right. 
and all that because, well, science can't give them what they want. One is the fear of death. And then the second thing is some magic sugar daddy is going to take nice care of you. You don't have to worry about anything. And so simply atheism or science simply cannot compete with those things. The only way is to raise questions like, do you stare at each other all day? Uh, I mean, well, is and, there work and do you do you think these questions actually cause people to rethink their religious beliefs? I think so because based on what them to answer, and I have asked these questions, and they say, "Well, we'll find out, or uh, we'll pray." That's the funny thing, though. We well, uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's like they don't change; and, they just say, "Well, we'll find out when we get there." Right. And and then, so basically, they are saying that they have no clue. So how do they know that heaven will be wonderful and all that stuff? So, because I mean, they've been told no it jobs, is. I mean, yeah. God, I mean, what would God, the maker of this huge universe, have any work to be done? I mean, is he exporting, is he running factories, exporting goods to the universe next door? It doesn't make any sense. So are people just lying about? Um, the, the, the disappointing thing for me is that even theists should be asking that question, right? You would think, okay, we, we are there. What are we doing all day? Are we just enjoying the good life? Grand plan of God is to uh, have billions of people just snoring away in heaven. I don't think. I mean, yeah, I don't think they that, think about it that's, very hard. Right. I mean, no. that's a surprising thing for me is that even teens should be asking that question. Correct. I mean, I have been in the U.S. for a long time. I have never heard or seen any uh, YouTube videos or article or an editorial asking, "What do we do there?" Actually, you know. And the second question uh, that I mean, there are a lot of other questions too, but question that I would ask is that justice, about justice. Um, uh, the Hollywood basically says vengeance is justice. Uh, the Kill Bill movie where uh, this hero or heroine gets hurt in the beginning of the movie and then goes on a killing spree, uh, the audience's bloodlust is satisfied and they go happy. But that's not justice, that's vengeance, an eye for an eye. And when we look at God and say, some guy hurt me, all God can do, it seems, is, well, he'll forgive that guy. So that guy goes off and enjoys heaven, or he will punish that guy. Neither of which uh, benefits the victim. Right. Well, I mean, I think you're oversimplifying what happens because it depends on what religious tradition you're following. If it's Christianity, the person has to actually um, accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and that's the requirement to get into heaven. Um, and heaven is being in the light of God, is, is it not? And then if you're no, not in yeah. heaven, you're not. And I'm not talking. But you're right. It's not justice for the victim. Criminal, right. I mean, the justice is looking at it and going, uh, wait a second. Yeah. I mean, basically, if you're looking at life on earth here, uh, a victim has more choices than even God. God. God has only two choices, either forgive the guy or punish the guy, whereas the victim can take him to court. Let's say the guy loses some money, uh, he's robbed of some money. He can take the guy to court, and the court can say, hey, give him back his money that you stole from him. Right. So that, to me, is justice. 
Yeah. It's crazy to think that a human being down on earth has more choices than God. And yeah. that's the tell. That's the tell that says these are all just simple ideas from primitive people living back in the day who right. made God using the most powerful man they knew then, the king. The king dispensed justice, uh, basically, yeah, or vengeance, what you call it. So they came up with these ideas of God based on their king, dictator. And uh, that's a surprising thing to me is that few of these questions are raised. I I don't think I ever run across an article or editorial or even a YouTube video asking these questions. I think they're there. You just got to put the right search words in there. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So I guess the, the bottom line here is there's not a magic question or a magic series of questions that causes people to, you know, question their religious beliefs or, you know, go down the path of non-belief. What's important is that you ask people what they believe, why they believe it, and better yet, why we should believe it too, and see what they say. Yeah, I mean... You can only address the the arguments they present you. Right. The overriding thing is, of course, uh, fear of death, as I said, and the prospect of an easy life uh, in the afterlife. And basically, uh, uh, the question is, why would why would somebody let you sit around doing nothing? Even, even your own mother is not going to let you sit around it, doing nothing. It does seem to fly so, in the face of the Protestant work ethic. <laughs> yes, uh, and that's the crazy thing. Yeah. You would think that uh, people, uh, conservatives, they say you must pull your own weight, blah, 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 and all that. Well, what weight are you pulling in heaven? Why would God? God yeah. doesn't obviously need you in yeah. heaven. I think so. The, the human mind. What's the whole point? The human mind has trouble comprehending infinity and finality, those two extremes. And that's why they turn to religion, I think. Right. So basically, religion is giving a sugar pill. It's just pure exploitation. Uh, uh, I would agree with that. I uh, agree. It's heaven is just a Ponzi scheme. Yep. Uh Uh-oh. They're running a Ponzi scheme. That's all it is. I mean, Ponzi should actually be called a heaven scheme, actually. (laughs) The concept of heaven came before that. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to keep going. We've got uh, about 13 or 12 minutes left in the show, so I'm going to let you, you thanks go. Thanks for but, taking my Yeah, thank thanks you so for, much calling. for calling. I, all right. So you got more stuff to present? I have one small thing, and if somebody wants to see evolution occur within uh, recorded history, like within the last 100 years, the apple maggot fly and this is also in the Iron Chariots thing, I noticed, but this was the example that was taught to me all through school. And the North American uh, fly that infests Hawthorne in the 1800s, mm-hmm. just there was some sort of change in the genes, and they started to infest apples instead, the ah. apple trees, and it switched over to fruiting plants. And at this point, the two different species are distinct enough that they don't crossbreed. So, interesting. Um, yeah, it just takes that mutation and insects and plants are particularly good at it. If you want to see evolution and happen, happening 
quickly and massively look at plants. Everybody wants animal examples because that's what they can identify with. But plants are crazy. They they can double or triple or quadruple their chromosomes. Boom, yeah. they are a new species. Right. And that's that's kind of hard to understand and a little bit out there, so I don't know well, to talk about that. Wasn't there a, a report of a new species of mosquito that originated in the London tube system? A few years ago? I did not see that. Um, I think that was reported in some literature. But anyway, mm-hmm. and of course, creationists dismiss that because it's like, well, it's still a mosquito. It's not macroevolution. It didn't evolve into a lizard or something, you know. So, it shows incredible ignorance. Like, those goalposts didn't even pause when they mm-hmm. were moving. <laughs> Run with those goals. All right. We have call. two callers left here. So let me uh, talk to Austin in Knoxville. You're on with Jen and Claire. Hi, Austin. Hello, Austin. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hey, how are y'all? Great, and you? I'm doing well. Good. So we got uh, 10 minutes, well, so be quick. Great. Uh, well, I'm a kind of long-time listener, uh, and I was interested to talk about uh, the transition from Christian to atheist uh, from my perspective, uh, when I was young, I had a human growth hormone issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my pituitary gland was too small. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family was really religious, uh, so they always had a faith-based perspective. Mm. Uh, and uh, we also you know, went to the doctor a lot to work on this issue. There's uh, something that they perceived to be an issue. Uh, and so it was, it was always so interesting to see the the dynamic change between the religious setting of, uh, you know, we have faith in this, we'll pray in this, uh, this is how God works, and the scientific dynamic of, you know, we're going to discover what's actually going on here mm-hmm. uh, and test it. Um, and that was always uh, something really interesting growing up. Uh, and so for me, after having left uh, faith and left Christianity um, and going back to my family and saying, uh, you know, hey, uh, this uh, whole science thing that you know, we've been dealing with throughout my whole life uh, has some validity to it that should be consequential and really interesting to, uh, to your faith. Uh, that then, uh, doesn't really get translated very well. Mm. Yeah. How did they square that? Did they say right. that God was speaking through the physician, or what? How did they square that? Yeah, it was always something like that, to the extent of, uh, you know, uh, this is a purposeful action. That wow. everything that I was experiencing was intentional uh, and designed, and so, mm. uh, you know, I also broke a whole lot of bones growing up because of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's like all of those were also intentional. <laughs> so God was intentionally saying, fuck you, you get to break your bone again? <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose so. <laughs> kind uh, and loving God. Yeah. So, yeah. How benevolent uh, of, of it. Real, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I'm one glad. One of the breaks was yeah. Arminianism and uh, Calvinism. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, super. But, I'm I'm glad that for your sake they did seek medical help. Whatever the reason, because yeah, the pituitary is, is key to damn near everything in human growth. And yeah. so good thing they went to a doctor for you. Yeah. 
Well, absolutely. Right on. All right. Thanks for well, calling. Yeah, thanks for calling and sharing that. That's. Uh, I'm glad that you got proper medical care. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. All, all right. right. Well, uh, thank you all for uh, being out there and taking callers. All right. Thank thanks. you, Austin. Bye. All right. Wow, they just keep pouring in. Yeah. Well, mm. oh, we have one more queued up here. Um, as a last thing, a reminder, um, I guess we're having dinner tonight here, mm-hmm. um, as always. So yep. if you are in the Austin area, if you're atheist or atheist friendly, you're welcome to stop by and um, share dinner with us. Yep. It's free. Um, you don't have to pay um, if you don't, if you can't. I mean, it's, um, and we want people to come and enjoy without having to worry about any sort of financial barrier. Right. And reminder, Hemant Meta will be a co-host here yeah. on the 24th. Yeah. So if you're in the area and you want to stop by and see that, check him out. He's awesome. Check him out. Oh, also, uh, on the 24th, uh, on Parenting Beyond Belief, we're going to have a, a phone-in guest, and that's Callie Wright. Oh, yes. Yeah. She uh, put out a call to action asking people to make a difference in um, – how trans people are understood and move and be in the world, and uh, uh, that was in face of, in the face of the uh, trying to erase trans people right. thing that occurred recently. Yeah, for those for those of you who are unaware, um, the current administration is trying to basically rewrite the rules so that people are forced into a binary choice between male and female. Mm-hmm. Which makes zero and, sense. It goes against yeah. science. I mean, this is yeah. not just something hokey this is science there there are not two genders in any case uh so she's going to be talking about uh what it's like to grow up feeling different and then how you can help parent or at least be an ally to children who are coping with society's problems yes right and callie's awesome callie is the freaking bomb yes oh she's awesome yeah right so um, let's talk to Peter in Maryland. You're on with Jen and Claire. Hi, Peter. Hi, how are you? Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Good. So, um, I just, um, I won't be long. I just had a uh, couple of questions. Um, one is I'm trying to understand the new, the new, the new atheism. I understand what it traditionally means, but I understand that it means nowadays there is a lack of belief in God. Do I have that right? That yeah, that would be a paraphrase of of the definition. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and I understand it would further have to be a person because if we just say lack of belief, that would kind of include inanimate matter and you know doorknobs and chairs. And I don't all define God for people. Oh, absolutely. But I do. Don't you think though that when you say it's a lack of a belief in God, you must have some minimalist concept of what that is, or do you mean it in the sense when you say, I don't believe in stuff I don't understand? Is that kind of the perspective? No, that's not what it means. So, um, yeah, people have an understanding of what they mean when they say some God exists. They're typically talking, not talking about the universe or energy or something, some whatever you want to talk about. They're talking about some presumably sentient supernatural being okay i don't okay, think those exist okay i got no to- i totally understand so do you think then that this statement can uh, an atheist maintain also 
if they were presented with the proposition that God does not exist, would it be compatible for them to say, I don't believe that either? The statement that um, I believe God does not, well, the claim God does not exist is a different claim than... Yeah, absolutely right. You That's some God exists. Gnosticism. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. When, yeah, the negation of one proposition doesn't necessarily entail the affirmation of the yes. negation. Yes, correct. I, no, totally, I absolutely get that. Okay. But all I'm saying is if person A comes to you and they say God exists, you say I don't believe that. Person B comes to you, maybe the traditional atheist, you know, one who maintains the proposition that God doesn't exist, comes up to you and says God does not exist. What say you with regard to belief? Um, it's going to depend on the atheist you talk to. Yeah, it depends. Uh, um, yeah, I, I can only speak for myself. As far as that, um, I I would go so far as to say that gods don't exist. So that would, okay. I guess, qualify so, me as a Gnostic atheist. Or okay. I'm not okay. claiming knowledge, actually. Okay. I'm just saying I don't think gods exist. But you do think that there are reasons for God not to exist. Yes, Okay. It's a strange so, way of putting it. Yeah. Okay. So, so, and then it just seems that we go back to traditional atheism when you get down to it. I understand the, I, look, I understand the attraction of the lack of belief in God. It makes sense. It keeps, you know, it's, it's noncommittal. It's, it's more of a, I think, a more of a psychological type of way of looking at it. There's no claim being made. But yet when you ask them, if, if a traditional atheist comes up to you and they say, God does not exist, and then you say... Um, you know, well, okay, I believe that. Then it just seems that we're smuggling in somehow the traditional atheism. I'm, I think Matt would say that he could, he could, I think he could say these things. I don't know. I, he could correct me if I'm wrong. I yeah, think he, he certainly say, I don't will. believe God exists. Yeah, uh, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I think he would say, I, I think he would say this. I don't believe God exists and I don't believe God does not exist. Assuming that we mean God by the same by the same terms. I understand mm-hmm. they're two different claims, but if we're talking about the same entity here, supernatural being, the omni-god, the god of classical theism, Jesus, or whatever, I think he would say that. I think he would say, no, but but he also does give reasons for why he believes what he believes. Yeah. And so I guess the, the, yeah, the, the I don't, dilemma that I... I'm sorry, go ahead. We yeah. can't really speak for Matt. Yeah, we're not, we're not talking for Matt. Okay. Oh, what I, I can, yeah, you're right. Oh, no, that's unfair. You're right. That's, 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 that's so, unfair. So the, um, what, what I'm looking at here is that you've got two claims here. I don't believe that God exists. Okay. And and that's a that I think is a fair generic atheist statement. I don't believe God's exist. Um and then this other claim, I don't believe that God does not exist. Well, if I claim that God does not exist, if you put that out as a statement and ask me if I believe that or not, I believe that. I believe gods do not exist. And I don't see okay. a hell of a lot of difference between the first statement and the second. Well, I mean, one, you're not making a claim to knowledge. And the second one, you are making. I'm still not making a claim to knowledge. I'm still making a yeah. claim of belief. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, okay. In this sense, if, you, if we're going to get to the nuance, knowledge is typically understood as a justified and true type of belief. It's a very specific That's, type of belief. Right. Right. Now, but if you want to, but if we're going to accuse theists of saying you believe in God, you have no reason. To, it's in the same respect when you say I don't, I believe that there's no God. So is the, is the theist then not making a claim to knowledge when they say I believe God exists? Uh, no, it's about belief. 
Okay. But no, do you think people believe things that aren't true? I think it's possible to believe things oh, that aren't yeah. true. Oh, yeah. I think it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I mean, personally, if you go out and you say, I believe something, do you go under the pretense that it's false? Say again. What? what? I'm sorry. What, what I'm trying to say, no, what I'm trying to say is, I don't think anybody goes around saying they believe things that aren't true. When people say they believe something, they believe it's true, <laughs> right? Now, whether or not they're I, justified, right, is a completely different question, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what gets you the knowledge, right? The justified and true belief. You could be true belief just by coincidence okay. or something, by, yeah. by pure we're, luck, right? Peter, we're actually over time here, so I need you to wrap this up oh, real I'm quick. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. I don't want to keep you guys long. But anyway, okay. Well, thanks again, though, for taking my call. I really appreciate it. And uh, maybe I'll... I was curious. I want to hear what Matt has to say. I'll probably call him next week. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, you should talk to Matt if you want to hear what Matt says. All right. Okay. All right. Have a great right. have a great night. Thanks. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. No problem. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right. It's obvious. Uh, people believe things that I that they have trained themselves to believe all the time. Yes. Like if I just behave properly, my abusive other will not hurt me anymore. Right. And they ignore the evidence to the... Furthermore, contrary. people do claim to believe things when they don't actually believe those things because mm-hmm. people can lie. Well, true. So, And also, yeah. I, here's a really subtle one. For instance, uh, people claim to be religious, and I think they really think they are. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I know this is a little bit extreme, but why then would they be sad when someone dies? Yeah, if you're going to heaven. If you truly believed. Also, why do we have the criminal justice system? If you truly believed, we wouldn't need that because everything's going to get sorted out in the end. Um, But that's just me being black and white extreme-ish. Yeah. Thinking again. Oh, damn it. Thinking all the time here. (laughs) Trying. All right. So I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Thank you very much, Thank Blair. you. Oh, thank you, Jen. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, thanks to our in-house studio audience Woo-hoo! here. You guys are awesome, too. You were great. And, of course, to our awesome production crew over here. Mm-hmm. They do all the hard work. We just sit in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. The moderators and, who moderate stuff. Yes, the moderators. Um, thank you all. And we will see you next weekend. Sounds good.